0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. We're to Philippians 4, verse 14 through 23. That's where we find ourselves today, and it's, uh, we're actually coming to the final passage in our series, Durable. And what a journey through the book of Philippians it's been, hasn't it, Church? Yeah? Has it been good? Has there been a passage or verse or a a truth from the scripture that has been especially impactful to you through this journey? I hope so. I hope there has been something that has stood out to you. And let me just encourage you to share that with somebody. Let these truths continue to have their effect in your life. Uh, And so share that with somebody this morning or uh, even this week as you uh, uh, go deeper in what God is doing in your life. And if you're new with us and this is your first time, if you've never even heard of the book of Philippians uh, before, don't worry. Um, God has something to teach you from his word, even today. And if you want to go back to the previous messages, you can find those on our website and our podcast and all that but can you believe it we embarked on this journey in Philippians way back in November on this series in durable doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago in some ways, like you just think way back even farther than that like before COVID was even a thing that we knew about doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago and so when we think back to November when we began this journey uh, we were uh, then uh, seeking durability weren't we And I think through this whole series, we have been. We've been seeking help. We've been seeking uh, hope. We've been seeking solid footing, something uh, that we can find some security and some stability. We've been looking for a lens in which to view the world's events and the day's issues through. We've needed something more sure, more eternal, something that is durable that can withstand the chaos and is in itself unchanging. And Philippians has really given us that stability, hasn't it? Passage after passage, uh, though short, has been profound and saturated with Christ, saturated with the gospel, saturated with gospel mission and how to live a gospel-worthy life. Every passage, we have beheld the glory and the beauty of the gospel And these themes of joy and peace and purpose and last week contentment and now this week generosity have risen to the surface for us, teaching us how to live a gospel worthy life as gospel people. And now these last two passages really are the culmination of the things in which we uh, have learned, aren't they? See, they're, they're the culmination taking all of those themes and wrapping them up here and bringing us to these themes of contentment and generosity. See, when, when gospel people hitch their joy to Christ and hitch their joy to his character and to his mission, when gospel people have a Christ-like humility and are fighting for unity in the church, when gospel people are single-minded in their pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, when gospel people they leave their concerns in God's hands through prayer, then find peace, then what it does is produce in us a durable contentment in this life, that stays and holds us secure through all of life's ups and downs. And it also then frees us up to live generously. It frees us up to live generously, to steward those resources that God has given us, these gospel truths and the physical assets. And there's a central truth that these verses revolve around. And it is this, if you're taking notes. It's gospel people give generously. Very simple, but a fitting way to conclude uh, this letter that gospel people would give generously. And so tucked into the, the, the personal commendation and those final greetings that Paul is, uh, is, is uh, signing off in this letter. We learn the significance of generosity as God's people, as those who claim to follow Christ, as gospel people whose lives are marked then by generous giving. And so let me read it for us, and let's hear the word of God together, and then we'll go deeper into it with the time that remains. Look at your Bibles now. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 14, says this, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel... And this is God's word for God's people. Even as we read these verses, don't they sound like something you might write in a thank you note? Or maybe something you might have received as you gave a gift or you helped somebody out and they wrote a note to you. Can't you hear the affection that Paul has for the people? And this has been true throughout the whole book of Philippians, hasn't it? From the very beginning, passage after passage throughout this letter, we've picked up on his personal affection for the people. For they have a history together, don't they? A history in the trenches, a history of walking with Christ together as they have, uh, as they walked through persecution and all the things that you read about in Acts chapter 16. And so, out of this affection, out of this uh, command, out of this central truth that gospel people give generously, we should ask the question then, well, how? How, how do we give generosity? What do we learn about generosity from our verses? Well, the first point from the first two verses is simply this, give in fellowship. If you're taking notes here, write that down, give in fellowship. And look at the verses there. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me, and, and you'll see where this comes from. For there's two words that stand out in these verses. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Then he goes on, he says, And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Now, it maybe doesn't make sense here in the English, but there's two words, this idea of share and partnership come from that same word group in Greek of fellowship. Now, you Greek scholars in here, what's the Greek word for fellowship that we often refer to? Hey, say it out loud. Somebody said it yeah koinonia that's right that's right it's okay you can talk to me while we're preaching this isn't me just yelling at you you can respond when i ask questions it's that greek word koinonia and from this comes this idea of sharing or partnership and it's a fitting conclusion to his letter for where he began back in chapter one Uh, Back in chapter 1, verses 3 and 7, just flip over your page and let's see it because I want you to make the connection here to this fellowship and how as he's commanding them, as he's commending them also of their generosity, you'll see how we give in fellowship to one another. So go back to uh, uh, Philippians 1, verse uh, 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Like Paul loves these people, right? He's praying for them. In verse 5, he says this, Because of your, what word? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me, in verse 7, to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all, here's that word again, partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so look here for a second, what do we get from these verses as well? And the same thing that we saw in chapter four, and we're going to come back to in a minute. You see the affection that Paul has for the people, his love for them, and this partnership or fellowship in which they are sharing in life, both sharing in troubles and in gospel ministry. And it sounds a lot like how he ends. And so he begins with this affection and begins with this recognition of their fellowship. And he ends here as well. He is grateful for their generous fellowship. And now the idea of, of, of fellowship is maybe a bit muddled in your mind. And we've talked about this before in previous sermons here in Philippians and in Hebrews and if, you know if you've been following the Lord for a long time and in a previous church, and they had a building you know next to the worship center or sanctuary, and there was another building probably attached around the property, and it was called the Fellowship hall. Fellowship hall. that's right. And what did you do in there? Eat chili, that's right. Eat chili or uh, you know, or some uh, some casseroles, or I drank sweet tea, and maybe you had cake, that's right, or that, that jello stuff with like fruit in it, you know, there's all jiggly in the shape of the pan and all that, right? And so we had a fellowship, but is 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 fellowship just merely captured in in eating food together and watching games and hanging out together. Now the biblical concept of fellowship is much deeper is much more robust. And it's, it's here how I would define fellowship. It's sharing what you have for another spiritual good, often by meeting financial needs. Often by meeting financial needs. It's sharing in uh, 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 what you have for another spiritual good, often by meeting financial needs, which is exactly what's happening here in Philippians. Epaphroditus has brought a gift. They, The Philippian believers have contributed to Paul's support while he's in prison. There's no government support. Your taxes didn't uh, pay for people who were in prison. And so you relied upon outsiders, family, and in this case, the church family, to care for your physical needs while you were in prison. There's a partnering in life er, together in the difficulties of life that captures fellowship. And so how does this play out in our day? Well, in small groups, when you uh, come alongside a fellow believer to help pay a bill, uh, when water leaks, uh, you know, your pipes broke during the winter weather. When somebody was moving or having a baby, making meals for one, other, one another. It is sharing in life, sharing what you have for the spiritual good of another person, often by meeting financial needs. That is true fellowship with somebody, partnering in life's uh, uh, struggles together. And that's why he says in verse 14, It's kind of you to share my trouble." Like a parental, like kind of flair to that, right? Like when we talk to our kids, it's nice. That it was very kind of you to share your things, right? But there's also a partnering together in ministry in the gospel, which is what he's getting at in verse 15 here. He says, you from the beginning of the gospel. Now, he's not talking about all the way back to you know creation or even to when Christ was crucified. He's talking about when the gospel came to Philippi there. When it came to there, they have partnered with him in the advance of the gospel, sharing their time and their talent and their treasure to advance the mission. And this was a partnership that was uh, marked by their commitment what he would say in the first verses the first chapter from the first day until now and here in verse 15 in the beginning of the gospel and so Paul in prison he is remembering their commitment to advancing the mission that the gospel would continue to be proclaimed and this has happened since he left Macedonia which was the bigger region where the city of Philippi was located it's like saying, hey, you're leaving central Texas. When he left central Texas or New Braunfels and continued on into the hill country or west Texas and begin to preach the gospel there. And they sent him off with money and they'd sent him with more money and they are now supplying his needs even now. Why? Because they gave out of fellowship. There was a commitment to one another, but also to the gospel and its advancement to the ministry continuing beyond that. And because they share that, they share with one another. See, this is why for us, why serving uh, together is so important. Why we have ministry teams here at a church and why we serve together in our community. Why? Because we get that through these service opportunities, we partner together. We pool our time and our talent and our treasure in fellowship for the advancement of the gospel. We do this all together. And so he's, he's specifically here in these verses. He's talking about money, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. Money isn't the only resource that we steward, is it? And so we say it this way, our time and our talent and our treasure, we steward all of these things. We, we only have so many hours in a day to steward, right? And we're like, yeah, I know that all too well. I can't get all my to-do list done in a day. And so the question is, is how are we stewarding even our time, our talent? Are we giving the best of it to the Lord? Are we leaving margin in our life so that God gets the best of our time, our talent, and our treasure? And so we do so uh, for the glory of the Lord and in this mutually beneficial relationship of both giving and receiving here. But even as we talk about this, as we give and as we share with one another, don't think of our, of our giving in fellowship as a mere transaction. Well, if you help me move, then next weekend you have to help me paint, right? This isn't, this isn't a transaction. Like if you go to the restaurant and you give them 10 bucks, you expect a meal in return, right? But see, this is not how we think of giving and giving generously in fellowship with one another. No durable generosity gives joyfully with no expectation in return. With, nothing, uh, with no hope of, of receiving back from, uh, from the person. 16 and 17, we give to multiply. We give to multiply, to advance the, the mission. See, the Philippians, they weren't just like generous at Christmas. Like once a year, you know, when it's Thanksgiving and those Black Friday sales, that's when we start to buy things because, well, they're on sale and, you know, that's when we give all our gifts away, right? No, they were regular repeat contributors to Paul's needs. We've talked often about Acts 16 as the place where we read a lot about that initial ministry when the church was planted there in Philippi and believers were raised up. But like I said, after even after they left Philippi, after Paul and Silas, they depart for Thessalonica, the Philippians still uh, supported them. Why? Because they had benefited from the ministry and they wanted to see that same gospel proclaimed in other places. They wanted to know that the gospel, they wanted to make a way that these opportunities would would be uh, multiplied out so that others would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And guess what? Acts 17 tells us that's exactly what happened. Listen here, just as I read it. This is Acts 17, 1 through 4, that describes how the mission continued, how it multiplied, how the gospel multiplied into Thessalonica. It says this, Acts 17, 1 through 4. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Now, isn't this exciting? Like the Philippians, they gave, they contributed, they multiplied out as they supported Paul and Silas to go and preach and preach. They did, didn't they? They proclaimed the good news. We get a little snapshot of their message. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is Christ. And people respond. Jews respond, devout Greeks respond, and a whole bunch of women. I like how it catches you there with that double negative. Not a few of the leading women. A lot of them, apparently. They come to Christ. The story continues. A mob rises up and they're run out of town. They have to flee in the night. But the point is this. The Philippians were multiplying ministry. If It said this, that generosity leads to multiplied opportunities. Have you ever heard that? Well, through our generosity, this leads to multiplied gospel opportunities as we then come to Christ and we want to make sure that the support of the ministry, that more believers are raised up, preachers are sent up, so that more disciples are made and matured and multiplied, and it just continues to happen all across the globe See, more giving makes for more gospel opportunities. That good news, that though we were sinners and separated from God, that Christ came, lived the perfect life, died a substitutionary death. Why? So that we might live and have hope for eternal life. That the news that Christ Jesus is Lord would be proclaimed until he returns and comes back to us. You are giving then. It's multiplying it forward. Giving so opportunities uh, uh, expand. But there's a second way they are giving multiplies here. We give to multiply because it multiplies back onto us. Look at verse 17. Paul is saying, hey, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases or multiplies to your credit. And so Paul's motive in encouraging people to give to his ministry is not self-serving. He's not saying, hey, I need you because I really would like to eat and I'd like to have some, uh, you know, fresh change of clothes. I need a donkey to be on my way. He's not saying, hey, support me. No, his motive is actually because he knows the blessing that the giver receives in the giving it all away. He knows that the giver actually receives far more than the recipient, spiritually speaking that it comes back on us, that God multiplies and matures us as we give it all away. And this wasn't a truth that was new for Paul and the Philippians. This is a truth as old as creation. It's God giving away. It's is a truth that King Solomon uh, t- uh, tapped into in Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. Listen to this, uh, these verses here from Proverbs 11, 24, 25. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Isn't this so good? And, and maybe this doesn't make sense uh, to us, but here, here's... Isn't limited. He, he can give all he wants. He is the source of everything good, and he gives it all away. And so he gives back to us as he sees us giving a physical gift. He does a spiritual work in our heart. Paul out the Corinthians a similar message that he's teaching here in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. He says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. See, here's the thing, church. When we take care of God's work, He takes care of us. And don't mistake what I'm saying here at church. What this is not saying, what I'm not saying is this is not a promise of wealth and riches, Man, it's hoping for a get rich quick scheme. I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel, nor does the Bible teach this as well. So, what are these promises? These are promises of provision. That God will supply all your needs, and so we can give uh, out of the, uh, we can give freely. We can give out of what God has given us, knowing that He has always taken care of us. Those who know God know He will take care of them. Church, as you look at your life, has there ever been a day where you have, uh, uh, where God has been unfaithful to you, where you've gone without? Now, you may have not had what you exactly wanted, or as much as you exactly wanted, but the fact that you are here and healthy, at least to some degree, is proof that God gives us all good things. Psalm 84:11 says, "No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. You have everything you need for life and godliness, church. If you don't have it, it's not good for you. It doesn't mean it's bad or not good. It just means it's not good for you and that God loves you too much to give it to you. He knows the snares. He knows the temptations. He knows your own heart better than you do. And so as he gives to you so you can give away, he does so to multiply these opportunities and to grow and mature and to multiply your heart. And the more we think about all this, the more that we think about God's economy and our own giving and the heart behind it and how all this works, doesn't it lead us to worship? Thoughts of who God is and how he works, which is the next point in the passage, the next few verses, is we're to give as worship. We give in fellowship to one another. We give to multiply, but we also give as worship. And so look at verse 18 here. He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And so in verse 18 there, Paul's confirming uh, that he has all he needs in prison. He's a, he's a, he's, all of his physical needs are, are, are being met. Epaphroditus brought the gift. Remember him? We read about him in chapter 2 as well. He was a member of that church there. He was sent with the, with the financial giving and sent with greetings and maybe even a letter. And he traveled that treacherous road to go and visit Paul in prison. Now he, he's, they share this fellowship and then and Epaphroditus risks his life. He almost dies and now he's well enough and he's likely the one who carries this, the original writing, the God-breathed, inspired, inerrant writing uh, from the Holy Spirit through Paul in this book of Philippians and he carries it back to them and reads this letter to them. But he has it. He's given all he needs. And he says, I've received this. I've received it in, in, in like an Old Testament sacrifice. And so he uses that imagery there in verse 18. Do you see that? He says it's a sacrifice acceptable or a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so in the Old Testament, as they would come to worship, they would bring their goat or their grain or whatever it would be, they would bring it to God as a sacrifice of worship. They would give to the Lord in this way with a heart to please God. Is, is, is this your heart as you give? Of your time and your talent to tre- and treasure? Is it out of a heart knowing that God is pleased with your generosity? Or do we give out of hearts of guilt or obligation or begrudging that this is something that we have to do? But see, we give to please God. And it's in this light that we must think of our generosity. It's in this light that we must think of our giving, for God Himself is generous. You know that? Just think of the character of God. Just, just come back with me. What's the most uh, uh, the common or memorized or familiar verse in all the Bible? John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Finish the verse that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Amen. See, there captures even the very heart of God. It's one of giving and generosity. It's a gospel issue. And all of God's activity toward humanity is one of generosity from creation to eternity. Oh, Paul David Tripp, he has a great book called Redeeming Money. And in one of the chapters, he really brings this out. It's a very worshipful exercise. Just think about this. Meditate on this tonight or uh, tomorrow morning in your time with the Lord. Just think of God's activity in human history from creation to eternity, and you will begin to see that every act is an act of generous giving. From, very, from creation as he creates out of nothing and gives us the earth, the world in which we love and are amazed and wondered. It's an act of giving. You just jump ahead to the Calvary, to the events of the cross and God giving his only son who would be a substitute, a sacrifice for us that we might live and have hope and await that day when he comes and takes us home where he gives us the gift of eternal life from creation to eternity, from the very beginning to the very end, all of God's actions are out of his heart of generosity. Doesn't this lead us to worship him more? Does this lead us with thoughts of awe and wonder at our incredible God? As we think of our own life and worship what God has done and we seek to worship them then and on wonder and worship being something that encaptures our whole being. He's given us a brain A brain church in which to think these deep and true thoughts about the Lord. The truths from the scripture to process and rationalize and reason and to think these deep thoughts about God. He's given us a heart. He's given us emotions to think or feel rather these deep and true emotions about God. Feelings of joy and elation as we think of the goodness of God. Feelings of grief and lament as we see the brokenness of humanity and the the promise of God's uh, uh, solution in the gospel. But here's the thing we know in our mind, we know in our heart, but how how do we give him worship physically? I think, well, I raise my hands as I'm singing, I clap, you know, I dance around a little bit. He gave us money as one of the means to physically worship Him. To put our physical actions where our heart and our mind are as a way to say, God, I trust you. I support the gospel. I love you. And so He's given us this. We bring to Him. We don't bring our goat or we don't bring our grain. We bring our green. Or most of y'all are digital givers anyways, but uh, you get the point. And so this is a physical act of Our worship. In that same book, uh, uh, "Redeeming Money" by Paul Tripp, he says God's goal for your money is generosity. It's a bold statement, but I want, but one I think we can agree with because we believe verses 19 through 20, because which really our repetition of verse 17 are the same truth here, right? He says, "My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches." Like out of the abundance of his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe it, that he can supply your every need? Do you believe that, uh, that out of his, he, he will give to you everything that you need for life and godliness? And we forget it so easily, don't we? We can, we can forget it, but uh, some of us, maybe we don't actually believe it. We, 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 we don't, and when it comes time to test that and to lay it out there, we withhold it. There's some thoughts lodged in our heart that prevent us from giving generously. And maybe your heart is like mine. I, 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 I can't see your heart. I don't know your mind. I'm not a mind reader. I don't have that spiritual gift. But I can just kind of expose some of the thoughts that go through my mind that need to be countered with biblical truth that will promote generosity here. So here if you're taking notes or you can just listen here as I go, here's a a thought that prevents generosity. The thought when it comes to our money or our time or talent and treasure, it's this, that it's mine. This is a thought that prevents generosity. We think, no, this is is mine. It's all mine. It's my money. I earned it. It's in my bank account. This needs to be confronted with the truth that promotes generosity, that everything belongs to God, including my money. Psalm 24.1 says that everything is the Lord, the earth and everything, and in including the people in it. There's another thought that prevents generosity, and it's this. I don't have enough. I don't, I don't have enough. I don't know if I can pay my bills this month. I don't know if I can put food on the table. I don't, I don't think I have enough for mine. I can't give anything away. I, don't, I, I just simply don't have enough. It's a thought of Fear. And it needs to be confronted with the biblical truth that promotes generosity that clings to God will provide everything I need. Which we see right here in Philippians 4. Psalm 34 also weighs in on this. King David, he got this truth. See if I can find it here. Psalm 34, 9 and 10 says this, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The long, young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. See, we don't have to worry about we're having enough or where it's going to come from. Yes, we have to be good stewards. Yes, we have to be wise. Yes, there are wise ways in which we budget and steward our money. But the hard issue is this, that God will provide everything I need. But here's another uh, uh, thought that, that prevents generosity. When it comes to giving, and it's this, that, well, they don't deserve it. Oh, even, even just to say that sounds ugly. We don't, we don't, we maybe don't actually let that leave our lips. We just think it in our mind, right? Maybe with our spouse, we might say it, but we didn't deserve it. They didn't do anything. They shouldn't have made that stupid decision. They should be better at their finances or they shouldn't have, whatever We have these ugly thoughts that prevent this generosity. We need to confront even this. This, especially with the truth that will promote generosity. Is this everything we receive? All of this is from the Lord. To the Corinthians, Paul would uh, remind them this. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, it all belongs to the Lord. We just steward it. Our money, our time, our talent is all just on loan uh, for, to us for a season. And God wants us to worship Him with it. He wants us to be generous with it. And we need to start thinking of it like it is just on loan. It is just a stewardship. For those are the, that, those are the type of resources, that's the type of money that we spend a whole lot more freely than the money that we get from our paycheck, right? Like how quickly did we all spend our Biden bucks, right? That free money that we got, your stimulus check, all right? We, we spent it freely. we like, woo I got some play money. And we splurged a little bit at the restaurant. We went and did some projects or things. We spent it more freely than the money that we think we earned by our paycheck. But the reality is wherever it comes from, all that we have is from the Lord and received by His grace. Let us not forget it. Let us then give out of this, which is really where the closing uh, uh, greetings come from and teach us about. We're to give with grace. We're to, we're to give with with grace. This this last point here, these last verses aren't just like a, you know, like some generic greeting. Right? Like tell everyone hi, right? Tell all the saints, so tell, you know, tell all your family members hi. How many of you had a phone call like that recently where you're calling uh, you know, some family that live across the, the United States or whatever, and as you're signing off, you're like, hey, well, tell your wife hi, or tell the kids hi, tell you know, Aunt Susie hi. No, you don't, call, you don't have relatives that live across the world. I do this, but these verses are so much more than that. He's, it's more than a generic greeting. He's referring to them as saints in Christ Jesus, as brothers and sisters. And this isn't just like flippant uh, greeting. He's, he is uh, launching from some deep bedrock truths about our identity. See, the recipients there, the verse 21, to greet every saint in Christ Jesus were those, the holy ones, the set-apart ones in Christ Jesus. And he called them this in chapter 1. And so He's tapping in here to, the, to this identity that we share. Now, it, uh, I think bears some teaching here. There's some traditions that where saints are, those, uh, are wrongly seen as those like extraordinary Christians, right? Like the professional Christians, the, the big leaguers, the ones who get buildings named after them, right? You know, like at a, on a college campus, if there's a generous donor to the university, they usually get a hall or something, at least like an administration building named after them. And the church works that way, right? if you do a couple miracles that are verified you're super uh, spiritual then you get a church named after you right like i'm hoping for after you know i'm long gone redemption will change its name to saint blair bible church <laughs> just kidding that is a entire joke okay <laughs> that's my sense of humor coming out here that is the, but here church the, the, this is nowhere in the bible okay There's nowhere in the Bible. It's a man-made tradition. It's a man-made title. Saint is a title and identity for everyone who believes in Jesus. Church, have you repented of your sin and believe in Christ this morning? Come on, give me a yes. 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 Thank you. If you're a Christian, if you've responded to the gospel, then you are a saint. You could start addressing each other like we, you know, just brother or sister. You start calling each other, hey, I'm St. Gordon, St. Katie, folks might look at you weird, uh, but it would be no less true. And this title, this identity is not based on anything that you did, any act that you performed, but simply on what Christ did on your behalf. His death on the cross justified you. His death on the cross freed you from the penalty of sin and, and made you alive in Christ Jesus. Where Christ took the penalty, He took His sin on Himself, paid for it on the cross, enduring the eternal weight of your sinfulness, the consequences that were demanded for yours, my sin against God, and in turn took Christ's righteousness, His perfect life, and credited it to our account that we might be whole. Set apart, justified in Christ, and in that same moment, which is wrapped in the in in the in, under the Father, and so these saints here that he's referring to—they're just ordinary folks who serve an extraordinarily generous and gracious God. See, inherent in the very titles of saint and brother or sister is God's generosity. Do you see here, giving us what we did not earn nor deserve? Paul didn't earn these titles. The Philippian believers didn't earn the titles. The, uh, the members of Caesar's household who were referred to here, they didn't earn the titles. And guess what? We didn't either. This is like giving a, a young child the title of partner in a massive Fortune 500 company. He doesn't have the wisdom to make decisions. He doesn't know how to uh, manage the money or to uh, lead and manage people, but he receives all the benefits. So too we, church. And it's the same for us. A unique assortment of people from various backgrounds, various upbringings. All uh, but each of us adopted by Christ and set apart in Christ. And it's in these truths, church, that we must abide remembering where we came from, our sin that separated us from God and what Christ did to save us as he died on Calvary and who we are now because of Christ changed and transformed works in progress, becoming who we are in Christ Jesus. And so it's here that we abide, but it is also from here that we constantly give by God's grace, abiding in Christ and then overflowing with grace to give away to one another remembering that we're somewhere uh, on our journey with Christ, remembering the same things that we were once separated, but Christ died for us and is now transforming us, growing us from one degree of glory to the next. And as these truths, this is what keeps us going, keeps us pressing on, durable to withstand and desiring to grow and mature and then to give generously of all that we have, of our time and our talent and our treasure. Giving as an act of grace, knowing that we did not earn it. We did not, uh, 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 we did not receive it based on anything that we've done, but all by the grace of God. And so, church, as we conclude our durable study here in Philippians, I pray, let its truths endure in your soul. Let these truths linger there and then give these soul-steadying truths away. Give them away to all who will listen. Give them away to the next generation. Give them away to your next door neighbor. Give them away to the person sitting next to you right this moment. See, redemption, God's people, gospel people, are marked by lives of durable generosity. And I pray that our lives would resemble this in our day to the glory of God and to the good of others and the advancement of the gospel.